I want to talk to you about um, something that's changed my life forever, and that is the presence of God. 1,000 years before Christ, God had a dwelling place, and um, part of that dwelling place was something called the Ark of the Covenant. And now, if you don't know what that is, I've got a picture for you. There it is. Well, I mean, that's not officially it, but that's what it would have looked like. God instructed his people, the Israelites, to build the Ark of the Covenant. And this was the dwelling place of Almighty God. And inside the Ark of the Covenant was, hello, yeah, Ten Commandments, Jar of Manna, and the rod of Aaron. Now, if you don't know what those mean, don't worry about it. The important thing that you need to know is that inside the Ark of the Covenant was memories of the provision and the promise of Almighty God. And that was the very presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And because it was so fantastic and so special, people would fight over the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Old Testament, there was battles over it, wars over it. People were desperate for the presence of God. And it found itself in the hands of the Philistines. I feel like my microphone keeps cutting in and out. No? Okay. It found itself in the hands of the Philistines. Now, these guys didn't worship God like they should have done. It wasn't that God was the one true living God. It was that they worshipped God alongside lots of other false gods. And when it was in the hands of the Philistines, that was a very devastating moment for the Israelites. They'd lost the presence of God. But then, one day, um, in the time and the rule and reign of David, the Ark of the Covenant found its way back into the hands of the Israelites. And as on this historical moment, when they were carrying the presence of God back into the city of David, David writes Psalm 24. Let's read it. Okay. This is what David writes. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory, the Lord Almighty? He is the King of glory. And David wrote this psalm as the presence of God was being carried back into the city of David. And today I want to talk to you about what this psalm means for me and you. And so I've titled this talk, The King of Glory. <laughs> oh, honestly, I'm so creative these days. <laughs> Just oozes from me. <laughs> uh. 
So Jesus, we ask that you might come and um, speak to us this morning. We open up our hearts and our minds to you, Jesus, and we long for glimpses of your glory. So would you manifest yourself here this morning? I pray that every heart would be touched by the presence of Almighty God. I pray that we would be changed, Jesus, by your presence. So come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you this morning. Okay, my first point is that the king of glory brings divine order to chaos. So verse one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. So he starts this psalm by reminding his people, this is who your God is. He is sovereign. He is the ruler He reigns on high. He holds everything together in the palm of his hands. This is who your God is. Even though his presence is manifesting itself here in the Ark of the Covenant, your God holds everything together. And David knows the journey that the Ark had been on. He knows that, you know, it was full of ups and downs. And he is able to say here that your God has the final say. And when you read about seas and waters in the Bible, the connotation of that is chaos. So seas and water, it's like an overwhelming, uncontrollable thing. It's it's chaos. And that's why I've said that the King of Glory brings divine order to chaos. On Wednesday, yeah, I was in church. And um, I left at about four o'clock. And there was, you know, there's a bench out there. Yeah. There was a man sat there on that bench. He'd had a few, if you know what I mean. And um, he was probably, must have been on his fourth, I reckon. He was drinking whilst he was talking to me. And at first I thought he threatened me. I'm pretty sure he did. But I went past that and I said, are you all right? And he went, well, how much time do you have? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I've got a bit of time. <laughs> uh, And he said, well, if you want to listen, I'll tell you. And I said, yeah, go on then. And he started to tell me his life story. And um, I can officially say it was quite chaotic. His story was chaotic. The way he told it was very chaotic. Um, But this poor man had gone through quite a journey. He was in prison at one point. His parents had died. And and he found himself sat outside our church at 4 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon drinking some beer. And after he told me all his story, I told him mine. He never asked for it, but I told him anyway. I thought, you've just talked to me 15 minutes, it's my turn. (laughs) And so, you know, I told him, you know, I'm training to be a pastor, vicar, because no one knows what pastor is. I'm training to be a pastor. Um, And he said, oh, so you're into all this stuff then? I said, well, do you mean Jesus? (laughs) Because, yeah, I'm quite fond of him, really. (laughs) And I got to tell him about... Perhaps maybe Jesus was finding him today. And I look at that moment and I realise that for this man who lives quite a chaotic life, there was this one moment preordained, predestined by God, where he found himself sat outside a church listening to some northerner tell him about Jesus. You know, and even though his life was chaotic, I mean, he was drinking at 4pm on a Wednesday afternoon, even though his life was chaotic, There was a divine order in the midst of it. 
And when I look at the world, if I'm honest, I see divine order everywhere. I see it in people's lives where they find themselves in, you know, unlikely situations, doing incredible things for Jesus. I see divine order in that. I see it in, like, creation, you know, when nature's evolving because everything is longing for its creator. I see divine order in that. And there's some things that I'll just never understand. Like some situations that I will never be able to make sense of. But one day we'll be stood before Almighty God and everything will have its place. And everything will just make sense. But until that day, and that day is coming very soon, but until that day, I see manifestations of God's hand at work here on earth. I see his divine order here on earth. When you look for God's hand, truthfully, you see it. David is reminding his people that even though life seemed chaotic, there's an order, a divine order that makes sense. And this order isn't what society would make sense of. It's not an order that the world would be able to explain. It's an order where you choose to love people the way Christ loves them. I see divine order in that. Truthfully, let me just say this, it's more chaotic to hold on to unforgiveness and hurt than it is to let go of it. David writes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Now, let me be honest with you. There's times when people really frustrate me. I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> no, surely not. Um, it's not, never you guys though, just to point that out. But when that happens, do you know what I do? In my head, I say, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And when I do that, my attitude changes because I remember that this person belongs to the Father. There is a divine order at hand for me and you. It's an invitation from the King of Glory to say, why don't you partner with me in my plan for humanity? And so today, let go of the agenda of your life and partner with the King of Glory instead. Because in doing so, you will see a divine order in the midst of chaos. You see, when David writes, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters, he is reminding his people that his God is not above those things, but he is found in the midst of it. That the story of the Ark of the Covenant, the journey of the presence of God was confusing, but God was found in the midst of it. It's good stuff, isn't it? Brill. My second point. I have only got three, so I'll try, you know, extend them. No, I'm joking. My second point <laughs> is the King of Glory welcomes the worshipping heart. Verse 3 to 6. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their saviour. 
Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Um, I knew that I was going to speak on this psalm because um, when it was burned, like the first one I went to, so a few months ago, God spoke to me about Psalm 24 and it was really nice. It was a really nice moment with me and Jesus. Um, but it really scared me, the idea of having to speak on this one day because of this one bit. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart? That scared me, if I'm being honest. Uh, <laughs> um, I was confused and I was scared and I didn't quite know what it meant. So I did loads of research and I spoke to the one who's source of all information, Simon Foster. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad, to be fair. Um, and I discovered, yeah, that when the Ark of the Covenant was in the hands of the Philistines, they would worship, they would place the Ark of the Covenant on the same like pedestal as their false god. And so when David writes, the one who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, he's probably remembering that one moment where the Ark of the Covenant was placed alongside a false god. And in contrast to that, when we read about this moment where they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of David. In 2 Samuel 6, we read about how when they carried the presence of God, David had so much reverence and holy fear that he ordered that every six steps the men took to carry the Ark of the Covenant, they would stop and sacrifice a bull and a fattened calf. Every six steps. That's in the Bible, I'm not making that up. Every six steps they would stop and sacrifice because there was so much awe and reverence about the presence of Almighty God. Have we lost that? I don't know. Maybe, sometimes. It also goes on to say in that, in that same passage in 2 Samuel 6 that David would dance before the Lord with all his might not bothered what people would think, not worried about the fear of man. He would dance wholeheartedly before the Lord in the presence of Almighty God. And in both of those acts, the um, sacrifice and the dancing, what we see is an act of worship. This was a man who was wholeheartedly in awe of God. So you see the contrast between the Philistines and the Israelites. When David writes, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, the one with clean hands and a pure heart, he is not saying that you need to be perfect to enter the presence of God. He is saying you must worship your way to the presence of God. David was a man aware of the presence his very heart was about the presence of God. You've read his Psalms, you know, you see it. And in Psalm 51, he says, You, God, do not desire sacrifice or I would bring it. But what I have is a broken spirit you, O Lord, will not despise. So David knows that God is not after his good works or his attempts at being perfect but rather that God just asks 
for our wholehearted worship. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Um, this psalm was called a worship liturgy. And it is thought that it would have been read aloud on the first day of the week. Now, if that's true, then this would have been read aloud on the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Isn't that powerful? We know that there was only one person who had clean hands and a pure heart. And that was Jesus Christ himself. And through his death and his resurrection, you and I get to have access to the presence of Almighty God. And as you choose to worship him today, the good news is, is that when you behold him, you become like him. And as you worship him, undevoted, you know, everything you have belongs to him. As you do that, you find that you get clean hands and you get a pure heart. As you're stood in the presence of the King of glory, you find that you become pure in heart and you get clean hands, all because of the work of Jesus Christ. So when David says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, hear me, he is not talking about trying to be perfect. So why do we let that stop us from entering the presence of God when he never intended that in the first place? There's an invitation today for you to come into the presence of the King of glory and you don't need to be perfect. <laughs> you know, yesterday I said to God, I said, God, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. You know, before I preach this, tell me I'm wrong. You know, this is right, isn't it? And I felt God say, remember how you've experienced me. And I've experienced God in my very lowest moments. The presence of Almighty God has shown up there. And I've become convinced that he's not after what we do for him. He's not after, you know, our good works and our failed attempts at being perfect. He's not after the best version of yourself. He's not after that. He's after your worship. So the king of glory brings divine order to chaos. He welcomes the worshiping heart. And lastly, the king of glory longs to dwell within. It says in verse 7 to 10, Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Um, so before the Ark of the Covenant was in the city of David there was something that happened where um, as they were carrying, carrying it up to the city 
um, someone touched the Ark of the Covenant and as a result, they died. And that really scared David and he was thinking, what am I going to do? I don't know if he was thinking that, but I can imagine he was. And so he decided to leave the Ark of the Covenant in the house of someone called Obed-Edom. I think that's how you say it. I don't know. Obed-Edom? Sounds good. Um, It was in the house of Obed-Edom. And bearing in mind, yeah, so someone's just died because they've touched the Ark of the Covenant. Can you imagine if you were Obed-Edom and you had the Ark of the Covenant in your house? You would not move. (laughs) I'm not moving anywhere. (laughs) Guarantee you probably wouldn't have any arguments with, you know, your spouse because the presence of God is there and you're just like too much awe and reverence. It just probably changed his whole entire life and the presence of God was there for three months and it says that it blessed his entire household. Um, Obed-Edom was a gatekeeper. So he would stand at the city and make sure that nothing that was defiled would get into the city. That was what he did. You and I are gatekeepers for our own life. Um, God doesn't need the Ark of the Covenant anymore. Because of Jesus Christ, he longs to dwell in your heart and mine. And you are the gatekeeper of your own life. You decide what it is that you welcome in. You decide where you give your time. You decide where you give your worship. It's on you. You are the gatekeeper. And this man decided to welcome the presence of God into his own home. And it changed his life. Um, The king of glory wants to come and dwell in your life and mine. And because of that, we get to be carriers of his glory. Carriers of his glory. I see um, when I read the Bible about how the presence of God just changed people's lives. You know, when you read about the Garden of Eden, you see that Adam and Eve enjoyed this close, intimate relationship with the Father. They walked hand in hand in the garden together. They enjoyed the presence of Almighty God. They heard him so close. It was every breath they could feel and experience the presence of God. And from the fall of humanity, what you see is significant people who were desperate for the presence of God to dwell in their life. Abraham heard the voice of God and his whole life was based on the promise of God. He was a man of the presence. Moses saw the hand of God, signs, miracles, wonders, and actually saw glimpses of the glory of God. And then you've got David, who was a man after the heart of God. He experienced the very heart of the Father. He was a man who knew that it was so much better to be in the presence of God than outside of it. And he made it his life's aim to be in the presence of Almighty God. And because of Jesus Christ, you and I get access to the Father all over again. Now, if you've been a Christian your whole entire life, I know you know this. But if we knew it, things would be different. Because our lives would be transformed forever if we knew that we are carriers of his glory. 
I've been a Christian my whole life and every day I have to ask, King of glory, would you come and dwell in my heart again? Because there's times and times when I find little things creep up to try to take my attention and I have to say to God, I'm sorry, God, would you come make yourself first and foremost in my life all over again? When the Ark of the Covenant was in the hands of the Philistines and they placed it on this same pedestal as their false god, I think it was called Dagon, at first, I thought it said dragon. <laughs> that confused me. Um, <laughs> but when you read that story, you see that um, the day after this false god had fallen on the floor and they came in and they put it back and then the day after that, it had fallen on the floor and broken into, the, into pieces. The truth is, is that in the presence of God, no idol can stand. In the presence of God, all those things in your life that seem to be rearing its ugly head cannot have their place in the presence of Almighty God. Every idol in your life has to bow its knee when the presence of God comes to dwell in your life. Fear of man, shame, religion have no place in the presence of the King of glory. And so how will you respond today? Because the truth is, and this is what captivates my heart the most, is that whilst you're working out whether you want to give your life to the King of Glory, he's already worked out that he wants to be with you. And whilst you're figuring out, do I want to pursue this? He's already decided that he's pursuing you. And he stands at the door of your heart today and he says, would you let me in? He don't demand your perfection. He's not asking you to be perfect. He just asks for your worship today. Shall we pray together? Let's just um, take some time. Um, Let's just wait for the presence of God. Let's just wait in his presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the work of the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your death and your resurrection. Thank you that you've made a way for us to be in partnership with the King of glory today.
why don't you just open up your hands like you're receiving something and maybe you've done this before or maybe it's your first time um, but why don't we just if you want to just choose in this moment to invite the king of glory into your life lift up your heads you gates be lifted up you ancient doors that the king of glory may come in that the king of glory may come in and so Jesus we ask would the king of glory come and dwell in our hearts and our lives and God in this moment would every idol in our life that is trying to take centre stage be brought low in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we break off this spirit of religion that is trying to tell us to be better and do more. In the presence of the King of glory, we break that off in Jesus' name. Shame that's telling us that we can't get to our Father. We break that off in Jesus' name. And the fear of man that's keeping us trapped, Jesus, we break that off in your name. And today we welcome in the King of glory. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Thank you, Jesus.